Warmed and Bound Sessions. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Warmed and Bound is an anthology published by Velvet Press, consisting of just under 40 short stories, all by authors who are members of or involved in The Velvet, an online community of authors and fans of the trio, Will Christopher Bear, Craig Clevenger, and Stephen Graham Jones. Warmed and Bound is being released July 22nd. Joining us this evening is booked alumnist Caleb Ross, who is the author of Charactered Pieces, Stranger Will, the forthcoming novella As a Machine and Parts, and the forthcoming novel I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin. Caleb, thanks for coming back onto the show. We're really glad we could have you again. I appreciate the invite very much. Yes, absolutely. Welcome back. Want to start off by telling us a little bit about your story in Warmed and Bound? Click, clack. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a bit of a... Uh, yet another father-son kind of story for me. I've, I've, it's, it was after that story that I kind of realized I, I might have a bit of a theme developing in my work. But basically, the premise is as a man who uh, who picks up you know picks up trash and that sort of thing, just kind of a kind of a vagabond who lives next to the railroad tracks, um, finds a baby in the in the weeds beside the railroad tracks, and and decides to consider that baby his own um, and tries to raise it a little bit. That lasts a little while, and and then it ends abruptly. So uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of the gist of the story itself. And it's a it's like I said, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a continued theme for me. You know, I I um I've started over over the past couple of years, I guess, started to realize that that I do have a tendency to write um, in a specific genre style, you know, fatherlessness or parentlessness, I suppose. Um, and, and sort of the, the split between child and parents and how that plays out usually in kind of grotesque ways. It's like slapping a a grotesque coat of paint on a fairly universal theme, I think. So it's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, uh, Pela, the, the editor, she, uh, she says it's one of my favorite things that she's ever read and she's, and she's read quite a bit of my stuff. So it feels good. I can't wait for people to read it. I really enjoyed it as well. It's very dark, mm-hmm. um, but played out really well. One of the things I noticed, and I guess you kind of cleared that up for me a little bit as you were saying that, is that um, as I was reading, I thought, wow, this is kind of the exact opposite of Stranger Will. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, and I thought, I didn't know if that was in pur- on purpose, if you were looking to do something, you know, just again, the kind of polar opposite where it's a, a father who wants a child versus in Stranger Will where the father had issues with having a child. I think it is, you know. I, I I think on the on the last uh, the last time we we chatted, I mentioned a little bit how my novel I didn't mean to be Kevin, which is coming out in, in November. I think it was it was an exact opposite reaction to Stranger Will. You know, Stranger Will, like you said, a a uh, a father who doesn't really want to be a father, and then I didn't mean to be Kevin is a child who wants nothing more than to have a parent. Um, I think, and, and I wrote Click Clack right when sort of I was ramping up to start heavily promoting Stranger Will. So I think I got back into that mindset of wow, I think people are going to be a bit, a bit taken off or a bit, a bit turned away from my work possibly by Stranger Will. So I should write something in the exact opposite vein, not realizing that I probably wrote in the opposite vein thematically, but but mm-hmm. content-wise, it's still pretty dark and disgusting. So any anybody who was turned off by Stranger Will probably wouldn't <laughs> uh, wouldn't come back around to my side with with Click Clack. I don't think. Talking about 
themes in your writing, you sent us this really interesting thing where uh, it's a tag cloud that you put together, and uh, I'll let you describe it a little bit, but can you just tell us what the tag cloud is and why you did it and kind of the, some of the things you realized because of it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was interesting to me, too. Uh, I, I, I had this idea. It starts a little bit before actually putting together the tag cloud. I, I had this idea where I wanted to develop a, an app for, for my, my, to archive all of my stories. Basically, the app would be called the Story Vault, and it would basically be a continuously updated application that someone could download every time I have a new story that's already been published, but it's out of first publication rights. So basically, the rights come back to me. I would then add that to the app. And so the idea was someone would buy the app, the same cost that they would spend on an ebook, for instance. Um, but instead of rebuying collections as they come out, they would just automatically for free get this single app updated with new stories as they come out. Um, and that was kind of the idea. So when I was putting this, this together, I realized I, I wanted to be able to, I wanted users to be able to filter the stories by as many ways as possible, by length, by original publication, by title, by genre, all these kind of things. And one of the ideas was to have them filter them by content or theme, which would require me manually tagging each of the stories. So that's a long-winded way of saying that that I I developed this tag and this tag system, and then only afterwards I looked at it in, in a cloud form, and I was like, wow, a lot of a lot of my reoccurring themes really jumped out at me. And <laughs> It was it was a really good exercise from an author's perspective because you know when you're trying to sell something, editors and publishers are always telling you, are asking you, demanding from you, I suppose, what what's your what's your target audience? What do you, what do you write? Um, what where do you see your work fitting into sort of the the greater uh, the greater canon of work? And and I was all, the only thing I ever answered was I don't know I guess kind of noir darkishness. But now I can basically pick out the three biggest tags on that cloud and say, oh, it's a I write domestic, uh, grotesque fiction, and I think that applies to most of my stuff. So it was, yeah, it was really interesting to, for for me to see as an author, and I recommend um, any author out there do that. It was really eye opening. Yeah, it's very very interesting, and of course, from having read some of your stuff as I looked at it, I wasn't at all surprised seeing it. But I again, you're right. I don't think I would have come up with a lot of that just thinking about it. But yeah, I mean, it was very obvious in looking at it that, yeah, this accurately describes the stuff of yours that I've seen. It was a little creepy almost to see it like right there in two dimensions. You know, I was actually able to concretely see what my work was about, whereas before it was just all kind of in the head, all ethereal. And it, yeah, it was very nice to see. Especially since when you're so close to your own work, I guess it's it's probably got to be tough to boil it down to having an objective view of what it's about. And so... But kind of putting yourself in that, yeah, that seems like a really good way to step back and just kind of look at it in like the simplest terms, but really kind of drill down into it is really, really fascinating idea. Yeah, it really, it, it really is exactly that. And, and, uh, you know, I, I learned fairly recently, I suppose that, that authors, I think they're great readers of other people's work, but they're really terrible readers of their own work. And that's, that sort of spills into one of the reasons why I have issues with, some self-publishing authors because a lot of times they, they just they're terrible readers of their own work and it gets released too soon and yada 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 and that and that's sort of what i realized with this is that y you do get as an author you get too close to your work and and it really is as cliche as the term is you know your stories are kind of like your babies and you don't really want to pick apart your baby you don't want to tell people yeah i know my baby is is kind of ugly he has a misshapen head and and he 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 smells bad i know i know i know you want to say no my baby's beautiful it's perfect and it's up to other people to say well no your baby your baby needs to have his diaper changed or something you know so that's kind of what uh what that allowed me to do and it's yeah very helpful 
All right, Caleb. So which story are you most looking forward to reading in Warmed and Bound? Which author has really got you excited about uh, opening up a new story from them? You know, I a lot of the authors in there I'm, I'm so familiar with. I, I read just about everything they write. Um, so as much as I want to read a lot of the, you know, the, the velvet standards, um, like, like Nick Corpin's story and, and Richard Thomas and all those guys, um, I think I'm most excited about those authors whose work I don't get new stuff from. Um, Vincent Lewis Corella is one of them. He wrote a, a novel a few years ago called Serpent Box, which is just an amazing Southern Gothic-y religious kind of story. It, it's just a great, great novel. And, uh, and I haven't really read anything else by him at all. So his, his story, I think, is probably what I'm looking the most forward to. You're the second person um, that we've interviewed to say that I think I need really? to put Mr. Corella on my list of must-reads, um, even after <laughs> Warmth and Bound. Yeah, if you're into that sort of, uh, yeah, just that, that Southern Gothic kind of feel, it's almost as though you take like a Flannery O'Connor's kind of story and, and just make it um, and mix it almost with what Nick Cave would sing about. I don't know if you're familiar with Nick Cave at all, mm-hmm. but but take his lyrics and his kind of storytelling and put that with a, a Flannery O'Connor book, and and that's about what you get. Well, I guess I could say you just get a, a Nick Cave book because he's he's written two novels, so uh, you it's basically Nick Cave but but different. So there you go. <laughs> Last time we interviewed, we talked about uh, the fact that you do the Velvet podcast, but um, can you tell us kind of a little bit more of your origin or how you got started with the Velvet? Yeah. Um, oh gosh, this this is kind of an embarrassing story, but I, I've told it to a few people, so it's all right. I think. Um, I had been I had been uh, lurking at the Velvet for a little while, like most people. This was back in two thousand six ish, I think, and um, I had been lurk, lurking, not really posting too much, and and I went to a a conference, um, an AWP conference, which stands for the Association of Writers and Writing Programs uh, conference in Austin, Texas, in two thousand six, and I was there as as just kind of did really just kind of hang out. Um, I went with my, with my, some university friends of mine. So, um, we were just kind of, kind of the hangout and, uh, presenting at the conference on two different panels, uh, were Stephen Graham Jones and, um, Craig Clevenger. Um, so I got there, I, I happened to be walking through the book fair, which is a giant, enormous thing where a bunch of, of literary types are trying to hawk their wares. Um, and it gets really sort of boring and dreadful, uh, walking through this thing day after day after day. But, I was walking through one day and I saw Stephen Graham Jones, whom I've only seen in pictures, but he's he's impossible to to misplace when you see him in, in real life. And he was just sitting at at the University of Nebraska table, doing nothing. And he was I've since gotten to know him pretty well, but at the time it was like seeing you know it, it was seeing this this movie star almost. So I was very nervous and I talked to him a little bit. I kind of let it slip on accident that I was part of the Velvet and had been part of the Velvet for years. And because uh, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make it sound like I, you know, I knew where I was coming from. And and he was asking me what my username was, and I told him it was Thirsty Gerbil um, for no reason at all. That's what I told him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was kind of gave me this weird look, like oh, I, I I I don't recognize you, don't know, don't know you there. Um, little did I know at that time that the, that it was a fairly insular community already. You know, even now there's probably a handful of of truly active members. Back then it was even fewer, so it makes sense that he had no idea who I was. So anyway, between between panels, I had to run to a hotel lobby uh, um, and try to find a computer with internet connection so I could start a a, a an account. Um, so that if if by chance he happened to look up to see if I was there, you know, I guess I was 
pretending that I was important enough for him to care. But um, I, uh, I I ran back, started the account, and basically, if, if you go back into the Velvet, if the archives are still there, I think my first post is a big, long rant about how my previous account was deleted, and I can't believe who runs this thing, what's going on, <laughs> when really I never had an account to begin with. So that's kind of how it started. And from there, I mean, you know, like I said, it felt like I'd belonged for a while because I had been a lurker for a while. And um, and so that's kind of my story. And, and I did later on at, at the AWP conference as sort of a, a side story. When I met uh, Craig Clevenger for the first time again, he was like a movie star to me. Um, I, I told him, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, Will told me about this conference. Um, I said Will, thinking in my head, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones, Will Christopher Bear, both had three names. I was nervous. I got them mixed up. So I said, Will, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but Craig Clevenger and Will Christopher Bear are actually pretty good friends. And so he was really intrigued that I knew Will. And he started asking me lots of questions about my relationship with Will. And I had to bow out uh, nervously, like I had to go to the bathroom or something like that. So my first encounter with him was equally as as upsetting. But since then, everything's good. So... <laughs> You ran off and struck up a big friendship with Will Christopher Bear and came back. So it was legit. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been great. That's a much better ending to that story. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your novella that's coming out from Aqueous Books. Um, it's called As a Machine in Parts, um, and it's basically the story of a man who slowly is turns into a machine. You know, I, I it's very metafictional. It has a lot of illustrative elements so it's a uh, it's it the text changes from handwriting to a text shape the there's ink blots all over the paper you know it's just very very sort of um it's basically like a very poor 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 very poor man's house of leaves um i, I have read that book as as anyone who's read it and was uh, completely obsessed with it i thought i thought i gotta try something like this so I tried and uh and and as a machine of parts is what came out of it and so i, I basically took I basically threw in as much as I possibly could, um, just making things as, as visually appealing and as visually crazy as possible, but still having it all make as much sense as possible. So um, hopefully hopefully people like it. You know, uh, a lot of people who've read it say that, that they really, really sense something special with it. So hopefully they weren't just lying to me. Is that your first try at kind of experimental fiction and doing something other than the standard, you know, words on a page? It's definitely my first as far as including um, including images and, and altering the text to such a degree. I mean, I've always, I've always liked the concept of playing around with text. I, in college, I wrote a piece called, um, I think it was called Blurbs for Alina White's Strange Land. And it was basically a whole story told out of back cover copy blurbs. Um, so, you know, if you, if you read too much into a blurb, you can kind of start to get the idea of a story of what's going on there. And I think that was my first real try at something totally crazy. Um, and I've dabbled in it a little bit, but this is definitely the most exhaustive in, in terms of, of illustrations and, and text formats, for sure. How much time do you think it took, as opposed to just a typical novella that you would have written? Like, was it extensively a lot longer to put together? The writing of it was actually, like, the actual writing of the story itself actually was a little bit quicker than, than normally how I write. I kind of let just, I just let things flow, knowing that I was going to be rearranging things uh, in, in immensely. But what was strange about that is that when I opened myself up and just let things flow, the story, the, the first version of the story that came out was actually much better than, than most first versions of stories that come out. So, um, the writing of it was, was fairly quick. Putting it together though, definitely took, 
took a long time because it was basically breaking something apart and then taping it back together in in strange ways. And and as you, as as I wrote it, I had to realize where certain pieces were going to go, and so I had to make up for that. And it you know it started off as a very strange looking word document with bullet points all over the place. Every indention of a bullet point represented a certain way that something was going to appear, and I just had to know how that looked in my head. And, uh, and then put it together later on. So it, that that second part, very crazy. The writing of it, not not too terrible at all. With a kind of odd format um, for the text and stuff, is that going to be available as a digital read, or is that going to be paper only? I think it's going to have to be paper only. Um, I think there'll be a there'll be a PDF version. I'm, I think, but as far as e-readers, yeah, I, I just don't know that the e-readers will be able to. The readers just can't handle me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Switching gears a little bit, you've been doing uh, kind of an internet tour to promote your stuff. Uh, Can you give us an update on how that's going and where you're at? It is going swimmingly. Um, It's... uh, it's basically for for those who who don't know it's it's I'm doing a blog tour that I go to a, I between 70 and 80 blogs I can't remember the exact number between March 18th and November when I didn't mean to be Kevin is going to be released and it, you know it's going really well uh, the latest post which just went up at Simon West Bulford's uh, blog um, in which I talk about um, I think I talk about redrafting Stranger Will and how many drafts I had to go through and what that means and. And it's really, it's been great, you know, uh, very receptive. I get people, it seems almost every week, are emailing me, asking me if I can stop at their blog and, and offer a post, and I these people I don't even know. So that's really, really interesting. I mean, you know, it's it's free content for them, I suppose, and content is king when it comes to the Internet. So, you know, maybe I'm I'm uh, praising myself too much, but <laughs> they seem to like it, So I, I, and I'm happy to happy to deliver it. So it's it's been great. You mentioned... Um working on drafts of Stranger Will, one of the things that's come up over the last couple of interviews that we've done is authors who, I don't know how to say this the right way, had a finished piece of work that was submitted somewhere, but then either wanted it back or continued to do work on it after its original finish. Not in a draft way, like it submitted, and then, you know, uh, David James Keaton, who we just had on, did some revamping of ZBMB before he submitted it to Amazon as his own standalone digital novella. At what point, as an author, do you know your work is done? Is it ever done? Um, you know, I think it's it's done. It's For me, it, the experience has been it's only done when I hand the final proofs in to the editor. I mean, really even after a piece is, is accepted, whether it's a novel or a story, even after it's accepted, I'm still working on it knowing that the editor is going to give me notes back anyway, so I'm going to have the opportunity to enhance it and beef it up a little bit. I, you know, I'm the type that it'll never be done as far as I'm concerned. I'll always find something to tweak or something to change. Um, and so it's it's a good thing there's an editor there to say, okay, you're, you're done, stop it, and, 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 and not let me touch it anymore, because I definitely would. And that was something that that uh, in that interview that you're talking about, that, that was really interesting to me because he did say that, I, I think he said that he, he even went so far as to like anytime someone even offered him like, um, like, uh, like suggestions or something that, that he was like, that's a good idea. He'd just go ahead and update it right there live on, on Amazon as well. I don't know if he was joking about that or not, but I was like, wow, that's, um, that's he, amazing. He, he wasn't joking. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> totally serious. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. And I wonder if that'll become, kind of the norm honestly because it's already the norm in German journalism you know a, a news story goes up on a on a like cnn.com or something and it can be updated hourly mm-hmm. 
you know, that's quite a bit different when you're when you're dependent on truth. But but I think it could. I mean, with e, there's no reason why that couldn't happen. You know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there's no. Hopefully um, that does. There's no impact on cost, really. Like, uh, yeah, it's just time. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> Keaton's hilarious. I don't think if he didn't just fully throw the playbook out, he's taking some serious liberties with it. But it's really amazing. So <laughs> it is an interesting. He's rewriting thing. the playbook as uh, every week. Yeah, <laughs> and my my understanding on it is, as somebody who submitted to something to Amazon in digital format, you can say, ah, "I found some commas that were missing, so here I need to re-upload it now that it's fixed." And you can basically change whatever you want in it. And nobody really checks. That's amazing. <laughs> Keep that in mind, all you listeners who are putting stuff on Amazon. Yeah, it's okay to throw crap up first because you know you'll be able to get back. You can to just it. keep working on it. It's totally cool. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, Caleb, how about you tell us a little bit about what you're working on currently? I'm right now working on. Uh, I'm working on a story for a guy. Uh, a, a guy I know is putting together an anthology, uh, or I guess it's like a fake biography of a band that he's in called Paris and the Hiltons, and. I'm working on a story for that. He's he's asked a few writers to basically come up with fake, uh, fake experiences around the band. You know, fake times at a show, sort of in a journalistic style format. He has a few people writing fake reviews of the music, and he's going to kind of compile that into a a band biography. And I've been working on that for a little while. So actually, this might be the exact same thing I was working on the last time we spoke. I don't know, but um, it's a uh, it's it's taken a little while to get through because I definitely want to make it right by this guy. Um, and I've been devoting a lot of time to that. Um, and uh, and and editing the newest newest episode of the Velvet Podcast, which hopefully should be live this week. It's about editing and editing strategies. There's some really good insight there uh, from from Gordon Highland and, and and Richard Thomas and, and Gavin Page, who I believe all three are in the uh, the Warm to Mount anthology. So um, that and and that's and that's about it. So not too much. Um, you mentioned the AWP, which is still many, many months away. But um, can you tell listeners what they can expect if they make it out to Chicago for the AWP? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of uh, a lot of academic butt sniffing. Really, is is most of it. Um, it's 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 definitely for the the sort of university minded academic writer, um, which I like to consider myself. Sometimes it's it's less for writers who are into genre fiction and, and just sort of writing to be entertaining. However, it's strange that the Velvet, I'm, or perhaps it's perfectly apt that the Velvet community, we try to get out there every year. I think for the past few years, there's been at least a handful of us that have gone. Um, and it's basically just a, a week-long, well, a three to four-day-long um, gathering of writers uh, who attend panels and presentations on the writing craft and publishing and just it's a very it's a huge huge nerd fest uh, that's that's <laughs> that's filled in with it with a giant book fair um, where independent writers and, and small press publishers university publishers are all trying to sell their books and it's gotten you know it's strange it, it, when I first started going to this back in 2005 2004 one of those two um, it seemed to me at least at that time, very very heavily academic it seems over the years that it's gotten a little it's gotten almost a little bit more street cred perhaps i don't know if that's the right term really to to describe something like that but it's it's uh it, you know like last year for example the the guys from html giant which is a great great uh, indie lit blog they had a booth there which to me that would have that seemed like a place that they never would have shown up so it's it's gotten very cool. Anybody who shows up, I mean, they can definitely hit us up and and hit any meet myself up or any of the other Velvet people that are going, and I'm sure we'll we'll hang out and grab a drink or something. 
Yeah, very cool. Rob and I are definitely planning on uh, on doing that in, uh, it's the end of February, right? February 26th, 27th? I think so. Yeah, this this year it's in Chicago, which is, this, it's always a good one in Chicago. It's always right downtown in the loop, so it's, there's never nothing to do. Yeah, so that was at the Palmer House, and I've been to a couple of events at the Palmer House, and I just love it. It's very nice. It looks like that um, early 19th century, just like way too much money being spent on building a hotel kind of hotel. That I'd That's exactly what it is. They, they serve a $12 brownie, too, I'm, I <laughs> must say. And uh, they say they invented the brownie, so of course that story alone is, is enough for me to spend $12 on a brownie. And it, it was good. It was good. I don't know if it was $12 good, but it was good. <laughs> so enough for that or to tell you to bring your own snacks. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just go down to the corner bakery where they have a brownie just as good for fifty cents. <laughs> uh, okay, so before we start wrapping everything up, uh, is there anything else that you want to uh, plug or uh, that you want to talk about that maybe we haven't covered or mentioned yet? Um, I don't think so. You know, I, 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 as far as me, I mean, I can be found at at calebjross.com, and all of my good stuff can be found there. Um, you know, I. Hopefully, I'll have I'll hopefully I'll have a word soon on when that that Story Vault app that I was talking a little bit about earlier will get released, and you know, fingers crossed that it gets released soon. But I'll definitely let you guys know when it does. And other than that, you know, keep doing the keep doing the Lord's work and uh, and, pr- and promoting this Warmed and Bound anthology. It's a huge, huge step for all of us at the Velvet. It's it's something very important to all of us, and hopefully becomes very important to to your listeners and. and the world at large. Awesome. Caleb, thank you so much for taking time once again to talk to us here at Booked. Oh, thank you for stroking the ego a bit. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Caleb J. Ross for joining us on Booked again. Um, just a fun guy to talk to. Absolutely. And you can find links to all of his published works at his website, which is calebjross.com. And you can find his story Click Clack in the Warmed and Bound Anthology, which released yesterday. Look for it at major online retailers. And that'll wrap it up for another interview episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Don't forget to come back tomorrow for another Warmed and Bound session. Where did you learn those words? And what are you you find the signs you will be beaten even as they praise you but who remember you I gotta warn you they do not love you at all he asked you to dance in the find yourself in the night in the night if you're so in love with him why don't you murder him in the night and you say he loves you back he's only sometimes on crack well maybe you're right let's hope you're right but you know that are strangers in the dark and you can't confuse a burning cigarette for a spark they tell you not to put up a fight and you don't put up a fight so how will you find yourself how will you
you find yourself in the dark Hitler is dead. 